I was drawn to art, but I didn't actually want to create the art myself, right. you know? Right. Um, and same thing with, with English. I loved reading stories, but I didn't want to deconstruct them and pick them apart. You know, um, so much of the educational system, and I went to school in the 80s and 90s, so things might have changed a lot since then. I think they have in certain ways, but so much of it just didn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was dead, that it felt like dead energy. Like we were just picking away at these dead subjects and we had to memorize these dead facts and spit them back out and regurgitate them. And it was a competition and it was just trying to get a grade, you know, it wasn't about um, learning, you know, and that's what I love. Like it wasn't until later in life where I was like, Oh, I actually really love to learn. Like that actually feels good to me. And that's exciting to me just for the sake of learning. Welcome to the INF Club podcast. I'm Jazz Hoti, and this is the podcast for INFJs and INFPs, and other intuitives and highly sensitives, to provide you with nourishment, understanding, and inspiration as you navigate your journey. Whether you are listening for the first time, or you have tuned in previously, thank you for being here, and welcome to the show. Jazz here. I'm going to keep today's introduction really short and sweet. It's part seven of my conversation series with Lauren Sapala. Today's topic is growing up as an INF. So um, as you might know by now, I'm an INFP. Uh, my good friend Lauren is an INFJ personality type and we record one of these um, about once a month. And as I say, this is part seven. So if you've not listened to the other parts as yet, you can find those by scrolling back on your podcast player. Um, Or, you know, there is no set order. Feel free to listen to this one. And if you like it, you can always go back and look for the other ones. With that being said, I hope you enjoy this one. This one's called Growing Up as an INF. And uh, yeah. Hopefully, if you're an INFP or an INFJ listening to this, or if you're an intuitive person, I think there might be some things in here that'll speak to you. I hope you enjoy it. Take a moment, sit back, relax, and let's get into it. Okay, I'm recording. Me too. Yay, how have you been? I've been okay. I have been okay. Um... Thanks for being so cool with me, like cancelling at the last, literally the last minute last week. Um, oh my God, Jazz, I get it. Like, and last week was gnarly. I had it? like the day before you cancelled, I was in bed like all day. I couldn't get out of bed. Really? Mm-hmm. I have days like that. Like sometimes if the full moon is really intense or a new moon is really intense or the energy is just crazy, it's like I have this like heaviness on me and I just... 
like I'll lay in bed, I'll get out and like do a little something. And then I'm like, I'm done. I gotta go back, lay down again. Well, thank you for sharing that. Like, what does what, what that, what, what, does that feel a certain way like to you? Do, do you like, no, oh, this is the moon or does it manifest in different ways in terms of kind of what's going on in your day-to-day life? For me, if I'm personally burnt out, like if I'm working too much or I've had too much contact with other people, I will get headaches and I'll feel really hollow and empty. But if it's something coming from the collective or if it's astrological, it will a lot of times feel like an actual weight on my body. I will feel heavy. My shoulders will feel weighed down. I'll feel like there's a weight sitting on my head. Um, I'm very, very tired. And a lot of times I've thought like, am I developing some sort of chronic fatigue syndrome or chronic illness? Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like I'm getting sick, but I don't have any symptoms of being sick. And I just, I just need to rest all day long. Like I can't really leave my house. Um, I feel very fragile. I can't really watch anything intense on TV. Yeah. Or read about anything intense. I can't talk to that many people. I just, and I sleep a lot. Or even if I'm not sleeping, I'm just laying and resting. And I'm like, I can't even read a lot of the times. I feel just so heavy and tired. And it passes after a few days and then I'm okay again. And I always, I, I just call it like energy sickness. So my husband knows. I'm like, oh, I'm, he's like, are you really sick? Or are you energy sick? And I'm like, I'm energy sick. <laughs> Really it's really inconvenient because i've yeah i feel like i've had some of that but i was also hollow from like work and people overwhelm as well mm-hmm. so maybe it was kind of a combination like i've not like i don't want to be i don't really want to be around anyone like even my own family like i just want to be on my own i've been just like sat in the bath for like a couple of hours at a time or just kind of in my room um yeah maybe maybe a combination of the two because i've because de- i've definitely been just uh overwhelmed anyway like aside from kind of uh astrological stuff but it's something i see in my clients all the time um because i think so many introverts and highly sensitive people think that you sh- we should be able to operate like normal people and so they'll keep pushing Like, oh, I should be able to go to like three or four different stores in a row, or I should be able to go to a party for three hours and then go Mm -hmm. to a bar afterwards. And it's like, we can't really do that stuff. And I'm not saying that to be limiting. I'm saying that because once you understand that you work energetically in a much different way, and you have to be really aware of how sensitive you are and how easily you can become depleted, it actually gives you a lot more freedom. Because you'll say no to so many things that aren't necessary and you'll just get in the habit of it. Like, nope, I'm not going to that party. Nope, I'm not going to go to that store. It's not necessary. Like, nope, I have to stay in bed all morning. And it opens up a lot more energy for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm really glad that you said that. It's empowering, like saying no and knowing what is good for you. Because, yeah, for me, like, I've definitely got better at it, but I'm also like, I realize when this happens, when it's like, whoa, you've just gone from saying, 
we're kind of in lockdown here so socializing has really just been kind of walks and then i've kind of got had my work stuff and then i've kind of had i have calls most days of different kinds and i'm just like i've gone from putting a lot on my plate like consciously myself i've chosen to do that to like now i don't want to um i just don't want to engage with anyone so i'm like i think there's a there's a there's a balance to be found in that you know well, I always recommend to people, and again, all of this stuff is inconvenient. You know, that's that's part of it. It just is. But I say, if you're highly sensitive and intuitive and introverted, you can't go from activity to activity with no break. So if you have like a call in the morning, or you are working on something in the morning where you're concentrated and focused, and then you finish that up, you need to take 20 to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm and have something to eat, go lay down, go sit outside, but you need to take that 20 to 30 minutes to reset your nervous system. Because if you just go from one activity to the next, if you go from call to call or work task to work or errand to errand, you will become so frazzled and depleted and crazy and really burnt out. So it's so interesting that you say frazzled, that you say nervous system and you say burnt out because those are all things that I've been, when reflecting on my experience in the last few days, I'm like, yeah, it's like I've too much energy and then I'm feeling depleted and then my nervous system feels frazzled and then I'm just kind of burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just... Um, yeah it's just just man just managing energy even with uh, you know kind of sensitivity like music i'm really into music and like if i listen to music whilst i work out um it can be great but it can also come with its own energy in terms of like me almost getting so overstimulated with the music especially when there's other people in there in the environment um and depending on the kind of energy it can be like I don't know if it's a quiet gym, it's like, oh, just being super aware of like me being high energy. And if it's like a really highly energetic gym, it's like feeding into my own energy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm thinking about the gym because uh, our gym's open next week for the first time in like five months. Um, we're just starting to come out of the kind of the, the restrictions are kind of easing up. Mm-hmm. How, how, how have you been though? Like, I know you mentioned you were, you've been a bit tired a little bit. Um, I'm okay. I'm sort of in the middle of a writer's hell right now. I'm uh, working on one novel and I'm revising another. And the one novel feels like I'm in the middle of a dark forest. And the other one feels like I'm trekking up a mountain. So <laughs> that's where I'm at creatively. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm at to the point where I'm like, oh, I finished one sentence victory you know like I'm gonna like celebrate I got through a sentence it's going so slowly um but it's okay it's it's happening you know it's just also you know my shamans are saying April is a month where we're gonna feel a lot of energy but there's still um it's like there's a lot of energy and then just a little hole for it to go through so things aren't happening as fast as we would like And this month, there's going to be a tendency to feel a lot of impatience, a lot of grumpiness and irritation, that things aren't moving as fast as they should be. Um, So it's kind of like a stop and go month, which I've definitely been feeling that energy. Interesting. Yeah. You're, um, I don't know if it's because of the, 
the time of year now in spring, but you're like the lighting where you are seems like you seem brighter than normal. It seems more well lit. Well, I'm in Washington and Washington is very much, um, I'm on like Pacific Northwest. So I'm like two hours from Seattle. Right. So the spring and summer are gorgeous. It's just like sunlight and, you know, beautiful landscape and the, the sea and the sky. And then the winter months, it's like the planet of rain. Like there's no sun. It rains constantly. It's very gray and gloomy. So it's like, you're now seeing me we're like, oh, the light has returned. Like, yeah, it's like really sun. bright. Like even your eyes look a different, your face is all lit up. Your eyes look a different color. I thought your eyes were brown, but they look almost green today. No, they are, they are brown. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, my office window's open. I open the blinds because I'm like, the sun has returned, <laughs> you know. Maybe that that's Washington right. for you though. Um, I was going to ask you, and I know, I think I asked you already, but is our topic today growing up INFJ and INFP? Our starting topic, pre-tangents, is <laughs> grow. Yeah, my understanding is absolutely that. Yeah, growing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like every INFJ and INFP I talk to, with normal people, I'm like, "How are you?" And they're like, "Oh, I'm good. Works good. The kids are good." And then INFJs and INFPs are like, "The energy's been intense lately, <laughs> man." <laughs> you know, it's what's up with the full moon? <laughs> You know what? It's quite nice, actually, because I feel like we, all, we always start out like what's going on for us and what's happening kind of energy wise. And I know you're quite in tune with, you know, shamans and kind of what's happening kind of astrologically. Um, so I think it's um, a nice like little kind of forecast slash um, reassurance for folks who are probably just feeling differently. Because I know like every time you've kind of shared kind of insights as to this is what's going on, I've been like, oh. Mm -hmm. I'm connecting some dots. It's making sense for me. And even you talking about what April is going to be like, I'm like, yeah, start and stop. I'm really feeling that like grumpiness, like wanting to do a lot, but actually a lot isn't happening. Like literally just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like edging, like so slowly. Well, you know, that's actually is a really nice tie in to our topic because when I was growing up, I mean, I grew up pre-internet and of course I didn't know I was an INFJ. I didn't know anything about shamanism or astrology or anything, but I still felt all this stuff. I still, even when I was a little kid, I still had days where I was like, I cannot go to school today. Like I'm not sick, but I just cannot go and be in a room with 30 people. You know, I'm I just gonna, I wanna open a vein. Like I can't do it. And I felt like no one around me was like that. So I, like, I just thought something was wrong with me. I was like, I don't know. I get tired for no reason. Like I kind of, you know, shut down if I'm in public places for too long, I would like glaze over. And I just felt like, I guess I sort of internalized it. It's like, oh, I'm weak. You know, I'm, I'm fragile or something like something's wrong with me. And so I would push harder to push past that to be normal. And I think a lot of really highly sensitive, intuitive people grow up like that as kids. Like, like they're still feeling everything we feel today, whether that's a full moon or it's just the energy of the people around you. Like all of that stuff was happening. There was just no explanation for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like for me, it was there, but I probably didn't pay much attention to it. Uh, I, I just thought that. I was kind of emotional and 
I don't know. I guess because I, I was quite, yeah, I was kind of quite quiet and I just used to take everything in. So I maybe wasn't aware of like such like, oh, I can't go in today or this or that. I can't go in today, this and that. But maybe because it was like, I just didn't think that was an option. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've woken up and I'm kind of quite tired today, but I'm just tired, but I still have to go to school. Um, but I'm glad you talk about <clears throat> it being an experience that you felt so early because I know we, you know, we talk about this personality and personality type, the intuitive piece, nature, nurture, but it feels like it has formed one way or another as a thing. And it is from, I want to say before the age of four, certainly before the age of seven. Uh, and I know I've spoken to others about this, um, Sandra Evington at Family Personalities, who kind of does Myers Briggs family personality stuff. She was like, yeah, kind of with children. Um, even though, of course, it, it, things can change, the personality type seems to be pretty formed pretty, pretty early, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's an experience that's there. So, um, yeah, it just kind of makes you think now, gosh, like, what, 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 what? Not to not to lament over it, but like how it could how could it have been different with better understanding or with someone else who had more of an understanding of it and could you know kind of better um, manage it as you know a parent or a teacher or you know whoever it might be. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I got lucky because I think my mom was either INFJ or INTJ. Mm -hmm. I leaned towards INTJ, but she got the high sensitivity. She would have like. Like every day I remember she would have to go lay down and just like put a cold washcloth over her eyes. And she was like, I can't do it. Like it's one o'clock in the afternoon. I've had a day, <laughs> you know, I just got to lay down. Um, but she let me stay home from school a lot. And I think cause she, she got it that I wasn't, it's not like I had the flu, but I was sick in a way. And I mean, I, like, I think in third grade, I missed something like 45 days. Wow. And yeah. And my mom talked to the teacher because the teacher was like, this is outrageous. She can't be missing all the school. And my mom was like, well, she's like doing perfect in her schoolwork. Like her grades are fine. She's not suffering academically at all. So if she, if I want to keep her home, I'm going to keep her home, you know? And so I was really lucky that I had a parent who advocated for me in that way. And I think understood that being in a classroom with 30 other people for, you know, seven, eight hours a day was just too much for me. But I don't, I think a lot of INFJs and INFPs don't have that. They have parents who are extroverts or who are not intuitive at all and they don't get it. They're like, yeah, you should love to go to school. You should want to go to all the parties. You should want to be part of all the after-school activities and the sports stuff, you know? Yeah. I th yeah. And, and, and like, I don't know, for me, like my mom, it was, she tried to encourage my participation in certain things, but would never kind of push me or rather um, pushed me gently when needed. So like, you know, playing an instrument or maybe doing this class after school where I would have been like, because I think as a kid, I'd have been really content just to, I just liked my own little bubble, my own little space and my own little daydream haven, but it was mm -hmm. probably quite useful for me to, um, uh, be in those kind of gentle, gentle environments where I had other kids around me. Um, and also I was really lucky. Like I went my primary school. I think I was there for less than a year. Um, and I remember I didn't have a great time. Like it was just a really big class. 
and um, some of the boys were quite boisterous and I just didn't feel good. And then my mum and dad pretty quickly saw there was something going on um, and they had the means to send me to like a private school where there were maybe 15 of us in the class, like super small. Like the school was literally like, I think it used to be um, like a farm of some sort. So it was, it was almost like a house. Like it literally felt like a house. So really small, really intimate. Um, and my secondary school was bigger, but quite nice. So I actually really did have um, about as comfortable experience as you can probably get in like the traditional schooling environment, right? Um, well, two things you brought up that I think are, I love that you touched on these. I think it's so important for INFJs and INFPs and that we don't think about when we're kids. Um, but you said your mom always was pushing you to participate. And I know I got that like on every report card, like she does great, but she needs to participate more. Huh. And I think we all heard that grant, right? You need to raise your hand more. You need to speak up more in the group. And I would always think, but why? Like I'm getting perfect grades in this course. I understand all of the material. Like you can ask me any question and I can explain it and tell you what's going on. Why do I need to raise my hand in a group? and come up with a question to ask where does or, that come from it, it's just it to me I was like it's absurdity like it's just a rule to be a rule and, and it's stupid and I think a lot of INFJs and INFPs are like this is stupid why do I need to do this it has no point other than you think this is the way things should be done right yeah or just like it's um like tick box mark of in, like being engaged in the class I guess it's an easy marker for the teacher to be like, okay, I've got a class of this many people. This person is always putting their hand up. They're clearly invested and interested. Um, it's not the case. You could just be super into it, but not be having your hand up and just in your own way, like engaging with it. Like I, I enjoyed most of my subjects at school um, up until we had to choose to hone in on stuff. And I was, I made some really bad choices. But typical INFP until oh, we had to man. narrow. <laughs> I was loving it. Oh no, yeah, I did not like it. But then I also chose like different things. Uh, I made the choice, but my environment and expectations, I was like math, chemistry, biology, and physics, because those are the proper subjects. I'm at an all boys grammar school. Like my option, my options are like banking, dentistry, law. Um, I was like, well, of those, I'm kind of, I kind of like helping people and I kind of like biology. So medicine, um, also like my ethnicity is Indian. So I'm, 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 I'm sure I'd make a good doctor. There seems to be quite a lot of them. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so I went down the math and science route and then we have something called GCSEs, right? Which you do like 15, 16, and then they uh -huh. become the A-levels three or four. Oh boy, GCSE. I mean, A maths, like that was one I chose because I was doing medicine and it was good. I would not have done that. But the sciences at A level weren't fun compared to GCSE. I think part of it is with the pressure that came with kind of university applications. But I much preferred the breadth and the variety of lots of different stuff and also just like history and Latin and all this other kind of right brains uh stuff and you know languages over and above that very uh too much of a rational world i think i that from that moment onwards up until 
you know, however, whatever it was now, four or five years ago, I felt very creatively depleted. Mm-hmm. That was the start of my soul missing out on that creative nourishment. Uh, yeah, I think that's and, part and of even, it. To be, to be fair, Lauren, even those subjects actually thinking about it, I don't know what it's like in America. English, uh, yeah, like kind of as a kid, like primary school, like you write, you can do their story writing and stuff. And I used to love that. And then you get to secondary school and it becomes about like, like different old like texts, like rules and like this and like really studying like kind of clinically poetry. And mm-hmm. I wasn't into that, like personally. Um, again, maybe that's more of an INFP thing because I know things like structure and the way things form are quite interesting to some people, but I just didn't connect with, um, I guess, the more artistic subjects anyway. Like I didn't, I didn't feel close to the, the creativity of it. Um, which is probably hard to do with a group anyway but yeah well no I was the same I mean I hated math I hated chemistry you know I like I was I was drawn to art but I didn't actually want to create the art myself you know Um, and same thing with with English I loved reading stories but I didn't want to deconstruct them and pick them apart you know Um, so much of the educational system and I went to school in the 80s and 90s so things might have changed a lot since then I think they have in certain ways but so much of it just didn't speak to me mm-hmm. it felt like it was dead that it felt like dead energy like we were just picking away at these dead subjects and we had to memorize these dead facts and spit them back out and regurgitate them and it was a competition and it was just trying to get a grade you know, it wasn't about um, learning, right. you know, th- and right. that's what I love. Like, it wasn't until later in life where I was like, oh, I actually really love to learn. Like, that actually feels good to me. And that's exciting to me just for the sake of learning. Right. From an individual place, which isn't like uh, kind of you, you're not told what to do, like what the syllabus is. Uh, and then, and then not in, a rote, in, in a way that's more flowy and isn't like rote, you know? Yeah. I just finished this book on, uh, Rudolf Steiner and, you know, he was sort of, um, Goethe was his mentor. He loved Goethe. I mean, he never met him, met him, but he said that, um, coming in contact with Goethe's work made him see that you can have a relationship with the things you're learning about. So he said, you know, when he was in early, like primary school, he would learn history, but he was memorizing facts and he was regurgitating them out on his exams. And then when he got to know the work of Goethe, he realized I can have a relationship with history. And I was like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. Like as an adult, I'm like, oh, I have a relationship with World War II. I have a relationship with the history of the Soviet Union. I feel like I know the people who were involved and I'm interested in them and it affects me. And I'm learning lessons that I can bring to my own life. Mm-hmm. It's not just memorizing facts. Right. And that's what I think schools really miss. And that's why I think so many INFJs and INFPs and INTJs, I'll say and INTPs too, school absolutely does not fulfill them. They don't really want to be there. They can do it, but they don't really like it and they don't see the point of it. You know, and then so much of it is competition as well, which I never resonated with from an early age. I've just never resonated with traditional competition. I will, I like to compete with myself. I like to set little goals for myself and to see if I can reach them, but I don't want to 
race somebody to the finish and then I get a prize for it. That doesn't yeah. feel good to me. And then I'm so concerned about the other person if they lose. Right. And it's like, why does it, why <laughs> I'm do they worried have, about them. Why, why do they have to be winners and losers? Like, you know, we, we've been speaking about a couple of people I've just, like, we both know now, like Linda and, and Ayelet. And it's like, yeah, like a lot of us want to operate from a place that where competition isn't, I don't know, we've talked about this as well in terms of, you know, like kind of uh, operating how we do and serving the people we want to serve and all this stuff and like actually just raising one another up and being part of something bigger as opposed to seeing it as like, oh, I'm in competition with you. Like you're my, I don't know, you're, you're, you're like my, my enemy or like my, my competition, you know? Um, yeah i'm i'm curious to ask you like what uh friendships were like for you as, at school uh well i always had like one really good friend and i actually the girl that i was like best friends with in first grade i'm still friends with her we still talk and growing up she, we i found out she's an infp hmm. so that really makes sense you right. know we were both very shy um, we both had a lot of social problems. So I think we felt comfortable with each other through thick and thin because we shared that INF-ness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other children, I really had a hard time with. Um, like you, when you mentioned like, oh, there were some boys who were kind of boisterous. And I know you you probably experienced experience this too, but it's a nervous system thing. Other children, um, when they are excited and they get aggressive and they like make sudden movements toward you or they kick a ball toward you, like, that still to this day, I'm like, I can't handle that. I can't handle the like sudden movements towards me. So on the playground, like I didn't want to play in the really rough games. I, and I didn't want to play with the little girls who were like jumping rope or something like that wasn't interesting to me either. So I, I kept to myself and I was very shy for a long time. I don't think I really spoke in school um, till I was probably in second grade. Or like, I would like go up to the teacher and like pull her aside and whisper something. Oh. Do you know what I mean? But like, I didn't really just openly speak. I think it's actually called now selective mutism. I read about it. Like it's a, it's a disorder. And I'm like, I didn't have a disorder. I was just like, I can't, I can't speak up in front of 30 people. Like I'm five and this is so overwhelming. I can't do it. Yeah. So elementary school was really hard for me in that way. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I've got a couple of things in response to to the question I originally asked and what you said, but just a, a, a quick side note, you, you mentioned selective mutism. Now, what are these labels now? I remember in the last episode, we talked about mental health and the choice to make. So someone actually reached out to me, I don't know if they emailed you as well, to say, um, like, I've been... Uh, I think given had labels assigned to me, which was, I don't know if it was, um, I forget what it was specifically ADHD or Asperger's or something like that. Uh, And they were like, um, I actually feel okay. Um, And um, it's kind of, I feel it, it, there was kind of saying it's been useful for them to actually feel like they are okay. And there's not anything inherently wrong kind of with them. Um, I know some people like, uh, I think 
where I've got to it is I think it's like the relationship you have to the label if you if it becomes you um, and it's disempowering um, to you whether you realize it or not it's it's not such a useful thing um, I think I've mentioned this before psychiatrist I went to at one point I was wasn't given the label as such it was like yeah you kind of mood swings I wonder if there's a bit of bipolar there and again now looking back I'm just like nah I think I'm just jazz and an intuitive person you know well and different words mean different things you know like growing up I'm sure so many people listening to this will raise their hand but I was always called shy right Lauren's really shy she's a really she's really shy but shy it sounds like I'm afraid. It wasn't that I was afraid to talk to people. It was that I was actually in a constant state of being overwhelmed. Mm. You know, if, I mean, you know, little kids are chatty and loud and it was impossible for me to insert myself and be like, Hey, Hey, I have something I want to say, or T, you know, like, I don't think quickly on my feet. I really don't like interrupting people, especially if we're in a group. So, and just the noise and the stimulus I was in a constant state of overwhelm. It wasn't that I was scared of the people around me. You know, it wasn't that I was like, oh, I think they're going to be mean to me or I, I don't feel good enough to talk to them. Like it's low self-esteem. It wasn't anything like that. It was, I was just plain overwhelmed by the environment and all the people and the communication styles happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, and of course, I, I also do want to say like, this is, I'm not, by any means like calling like labels wrong and you know i'm not a mental health expert um but there does seem to be something about from a lot of people i've spoken to kind of in the intuitive world who whether you know for me it was depression anxiety um and i was low but actually like some of the traditional stuff that was thrown at it um it's like i've learn more about myself and to I think maybe understand myself as a whole being and really helped manage my holistic health which encompasses mental physical emotional mm-hmm. um, and kind of better integrate that the more I've understood that intuitive piece and the more I've gone from um, I think the more the more inward the deeper I've gone on this kind of emotional spiritual journey like you know we we've we did an episode on spirituality and god um you know shamanism and Sandra Ingerman stuff and all this stuff like I, I I wasn't so immersed in that like two three years ago but I find that that's helping me to make more sense of my experience like piecing together this stuff um, I seem to be talking a lot about trauma at the moment and that is really speaking to me because it feels bodily and emotional and energetic. Um, and there's lots, again, like you've got different ways to understand it, but the, and again, we're playing catch up, but the, the understanding I had not so long ago of trauma was, oh, that's something that you get when you're in a war or if you kind of suffer some form of very obvious kind of horrific abuse. Um, Whereas actually, and those are forms of trauma, but there's this, all this other stuff, which energetically can embed itself. And again, as intuitives, 
um, you know, we even talk about, you know, being in cults and uh, the culture and all this other stuff. I, I do think, again, I'm using a label here, ironically, um, there's trauma like that we experience that we don't realize, or at least part like experiences that like in, like in our environments, like emotional patterns, which form, which um, before we know it become our norm and, and don't serve us so well. So. Well, that actually leads to a question I wanted to ask you, you know, when you said like um, this stuff embeds itself energetically and it right. stays with us. And I know a lot of INFJs have had this experience growing up. And I'm wondering if you did as an INFP, but I would see things that were very obvious to me and I would either say them out loud or I would ask questions and then really quickly get shut down by the adults and told like, that's not okay. You said the wrong thing. You don't talk about things like that. Or even if they didn't explicitly say it, I, they would their body language would stiffen up. They would freeze like, oh, what'd she just yeah. say? And and that stuck with me that, and it did feel like a, like a minor trauma, like, oh, I'm saying something that's really obvious and truthful to me. And I'm getting this reaction from the adults I love that I did something wrong. You know, like I remember um, being nine or 10 years old and driving somewhere with my dad. And I said to him, you know, it's, it seems like you and, you know, my other uncle, you guys are the favorite sons of grandma and the third son always gets left out and he's, you know, he's blamed for a lot of things in the family. Do you think that makes him feel bad? And my, it was like, I just said the worst, like I just ripped the lid off a family secret and my dad just went pale, like didn't say anything, got very uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, oh, I said the wrong thing, even though this is a very obvious dynamic to me. And it's obviously causing problems in the family and it's an entrenched pattern. I was just wondering about it. Sorry, didn't mean to poke it, you know, but that happened a lot where I would say something and be like, hey, have you guys noticed this? And it was like, hey, you just poked a wound, <laughs> a big nasty wound. So I, I did internalize that like, oh, it's not safe to express myself. It's not okay to talk about the things I see you know, or, or I would see things going on and then be told something different. Like I would see from someone's body language and expressions and their energy that they were unhappy or you couldn't trust them. But then all the other adults around me acted like it was the opposite. Oh, that person's fine. So it was a very mixed message. So that was traumatizing to me because I thought I was crazy when growing up for a long time, I was like, I'm getting a feeling in this direction, but everyone's telling me that's not true, but I feel like it's true. So who's lying here or who's crazy? And it took me a long time to understand what was happening there. And that, I think that is a trauma for intuitive people growing up. Mm. I don't, did you ever experience that in your family or, or friends where you said something and then you were like, oh, I said the wrong thing. I think what it was with, like my family and kind of big family on both sides hell of a lot of politics to differing extents such that i don't and even now with certain stuff with my own like my so you know my inner circle my mum, dad and my brother 
I could probably, there's probably a, a lot of, there, there's probably a lot of stuff I could talk to about them if I wanted to, but again, there's probably certain things where I wouldn't even feel comfortable now saying certain things to them. Um, and with the wider family, it's like just navigating those relationships, but, but also just having all this other stuff there, whether it's competition, whether it's just some thing that's happened in the past where it's not been quite the same, whether it's, it's just like, there's a lot of stuff and like that I'm kind of holding like amongst the group, but also Mm -hmm. with the individuals, it's like, whether it's my grandma or my cousin or my uncle, it's like, like, I know, like there's just, and, and my aunts actually, like I've got a couple of aunts who've, um, maybe be doing some more kind of reading and work kind of to understand kind of their own mind and their own stuff. And I, I try and it's interesting. Like I now kind of try and tease like a little bit of intuitive energetic stuff. And it's just like either not understood or reciprocated or just kind of nipped in the bud. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm craving depth and understanding with my family members but that's just not been possible in different ways and a lot of that has come from as a child witnessing dynamics and like rules and like pecking order and you know grandparents and kind of the siblings underneath and then we're the cousins at the bottom and just like again favorites and the way people are treated and the roles that people have um it's just exhausting uh, and I think it is traumatic in the way that it's just so overwhelming such that honestly outside of my family members and even at times you know with the with these three family members I've mentioned the wider family I don't feel like I can be my authentic self mm-hmm. because there's stuff that's unspoken or unsaid or just it's just it's just a lot you know well, I think this conversation we just had, it reminded me of a, a pattern I see so much in INFJs and INFPs, especially growing up when they're kids, uh-huh. where INFJs tend to be the truth tellers in the family, which is what, you know, I was just talking about my experience of like, oh, I said this to my dad and it wasn't cool. But I think INFJs tend to be the person that just cuts right into the heart of the matter. And they're like, hey, this is happening and I'm not going to pretend it's not. And so they make everybody else uncomfortable. And then INFPs, I've noticed, tend to be a grounding force for the entire family. And this is really interesting because so many INFPs tend to unconsciously think of themselves as energetically fragile. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can't handle a lot of stimulation. I can't handle a lot of social activities. INFPs can actually hold a ton of emotional energy. And they're very, very good at navigating the emotional depths. And so I think in families, the INFP tends to be the grounder for everybody. They kind of like hold everybody's stuff, but it's not acknowledged. And a lot of times even the INFP will become the scapegoat. Like, oh, they're the emotional one, you know, or like they're the sensitive one or like they can't do very much. They're too dreamy and, and artsy when really they're holding all this stuff for the family, like this big container and they're processing a lot of it too. 
So the family is leaning on them energetically and it's never acknowledged. Yeah. Or if, and if there's any then resistance to that, or you try and change that a little bit, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of uncomfortable resistance and the backlash that backlash to it. Like, yeah, because these roles become, and you're like, yeah, energy, it just becomes so enforced. And before you know it, there's, yeah, stuff there. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, the holding space. Because even now, thinking back to school with friends, similar experience to me, I probably had one, what I would consider my best friend, Dan, who I still know today. Um, and I've actually since, actually a couple guys from primary school that I've since kind of got back in touch with. And there's someone else who I didn't know at secondary school at all. And then I saw he was up to similar stuff and he turned out to be an INFJ. I know him, my friend, Dan, I think he's an INTJ. So again, it's mm-hmm. interesting how you seek out almost without realizing these, these similar people. But yeah. I, I was... think they too, INFJs, it seems like they tend to distance themselves from their families. They'll like move far away or they'll get really busy and they can't participate in the family. And then the INFPs, do tend, tend to stay and be the grounding force. And they tend to kind of be in the middle of all the family dynamics. Like I have an INFP friend who like lives with mom, but goes over to the sisters to help out a lot and then kind of manages the other sister. So she's like in a lot of different places at once, grounding and processing and kind of doing like a lot of healing work with her family members all the time. But again, she's thought of as like the quiet dreamy one who doesn't do much. And it's like, she does a lot. Yeah. She's taking care of all of you guys, you know, 24 seven. Yeah. Holding that, holding that. Yeah. Like just holding that space and tending to others and just, yeah. Cause it's, you know, it, it's intense emotionally. It can be, it's emotional work, but it goes unnoticed. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the work that INFJs and INFPs do in groups, like the family or in a workplace it goes unnoticed and unacknowledged. But a lot of times the INF person, they're the glue that's like holding the group together. They've sort of got their fingertips on like the pulse of the group, like who's upset, who's agitated, who needs a little bit of extra love, who should be connected, where things aren't flowing. And they're going around and they're like working on all of this stuff and smoothing all of these streams out, but they're not talking about it. You know, they're not demanding attention for it. They're just doing it kind of behind the scenes. And then when that person leaves, a lot of times the group will fall apart. Mm. And I've noticed like, especially, you know, I've, I've said like, whilst I've got a lot going on and I've not been feeling completely great, like there's this, yeah, I definitely noticed like there's some pressure I can put on myself just to keep up appearances of like all is good here with jazz and like just being aware of, maybe my ability to affect the energy of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause you kind of, especially if you become used to being that person who's kind of dependable, dependable and, you know, I think it's something I also do, like if it's in the family or just any other group of people, I want to at times build relationships individually such that you know you all come together and it's it's all good it's all fine but i still know that i'm kind of and again it that sounds like sounds like quite a selfish sounds like quite a selfish thing but it it 
doesn't feel like it is, but I guess it's just like wanting to, yeah, something about harmony in there. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah, well, really just liking any, any, any conflict. And I think just being aware of, um, yeah, stuff and like just wanting things to be harmonious and knowing how, like, great example. I went, I played golf with my dad and my brother yesterday. I know what's going to happen. And like, it comes from such a place like my dad, he's like a wind up merchant, but it comes from a place of like love. Like he wants to like love my brother. My brother is pretty competitive and he gets wound. He's emotional. He, he's a, uh, he's a Leo. He gets wound up so easily. <laughs> and I could just see like my dad joking and my brother like getting slowly. And I'm just there being like, <laughs> just watching this play out. Um, both of them just aware of their own stuff and me just seeing the situation. Um, and I don't often play golf, trying to have a reasonable round of golf, knowing that well, that that's going on. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that too, because I, like you said, wanting to be the harmonizer. I think so many INF people um, get an energy leak or an energy drain because they're trying to harmonize all the different relationships in the family, especially right. when they're young. I mean, I've gotten to the point, I, I come from a very um, antagonistic family. I mean, there's like three or four different feuds going on in my family right now. Oh gosh. You know, we're like, so-and-so isn't speaking to so-and-so and my brother's not speaking to my uncle and my brother's not speaking to my other brother. Like, and there's these feuds like flare up and die down and some of them gone for years. And I used to get very agitated. Like I would get these group emails or these group texts and be like, oh my God, everybody's fighting. And what can I say to smooth things over? And I just want everyone to know they're loved. And I finally came to a place where I said, you know, for I personally, I'm open to having a respectful, loving relationship with anyone in my family. Right. Beyond right. that, I can't control how they feel about each other. Right. I can't. I, that's not my relationship to get into. They're playing something out there. I'm going to assume they need to play that out and I'm going to step back and let it go. Now it is, it's easier said than done, especially when you're like on a golf course with people and you're right there physically, like seeing the conflict happen. Um, but that's, that's the most helpful place I've come to where I'm like, all I can do is be responsible for how I come to people and my intention setting with relationships. If someone's willing to, to be healthy and open and loving with me, I'm willing to give that a shot. Again, beyond that, what they do with each other, I can't control that. Yeah, uh, and that's right. And I think it becomes difficult where where it's your parents. And especially, I think as a boy, maybe more so if you're a boy and it's your mum, mm. and you're a witness to others behavior and actions towards her and you're kind of protective over that mm -hmm. uh, but i completely agree. same thing if you're a girl and it's your dad maybe yeah right at least that's how i felt about my dad very protective really protective and like like it's like on the one hand like i want i take everyone at face value on the other hand like you've hurt my dad and mm -hmm. i see you as in the wrong in this situation um but yeah, I think that that's that's kind of where I'm at as uh, as well um, in terms of taking people at face value. I think another thing I've realised is like 
especially with like these layered families and they can feel really insular and closed and kind of um i don't know just rules out for i think it's my mom always says you know it's not just indian culture it's it's everyone and i'm like i'm sure it is but I can, like, only, well. I can only i can only well yeah a well but we, I, I can only speak to what i'm in you know yeah um, but yeah just like for example like you've got i'm one of the i'm like one of their cousins and then you've got the aunts and you've got the grandparents my relationship with the aunts is always been like a parent child type thing where it's even though I'm now almost 32 mm-hmm. um, because I'm a still one of the kids B, I'm living at home at the moment. So that's kind of reinforces the thing. Like just like you're kind of a kid. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's like you almost want to have a more even relationship and you probably could have. It's like this whole intuitive thing. I think it's pretty big. Like, I kind of think grandma is super sensitive and like a lot of people in this family are sensitive and mm-hmm. and they've suppressed it or they cover it up right and like I know kind of um jazz is a bit weird but honestly this stuff might help you <laughs> but you know what I mean so um yeah I don't know well that happened to me a lot too like when things are quote-unquote fine in my family I'm the weird one like right. everyone's like, Lauren's kind of out there. But when someone has a crisis, I was always the first person they would call, huh. you know, like you need someone to come over and spend the weekend with you while you sob your face off because you were just dumped and you're having an existential crisis. Lauren's here, you know, like then it's like, they're really into me. And then when they, the crisis passed, they're like, okay, let's put that behind us and never speak of it again. Yeah. Like, Wait, <laughs> I thought we were actually connecting. I was into it, you know? Like, oh, there's a, there's a window for some personal growth work. Like, let's get it. And they're like, no, no, I just felt really horrible for two days. And, and now it's over. It reminds you of, I don't know if you ever watched the U.S. office. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Have, uh, I, I don't know how much of it. Have you seen all of it? Or oh, tons of it. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the relationship between Michael and Toby, I think mm-hmm. is, absolutely hilarious to the extent that like he's just so harsh towards toby and i think um like michael is he has to have like therapy sessions and he's down with it and he finds out it's toby administering it (laughs) and like toby you're like they'll be talking and you're like i'm making some real progress here um and then yeah i think a lot of inf people feel like toby yeah and then you'll realize that You'll think that you and they'll they'll connect and they'll bond and then you'll Michael will suddenly remember that this is a therapy session. Mm-hmm. And he's just like suddenly and they're going for like being really cool and then he's just like, "You bastard!" He's like, "What?" He was like, "I see what you're doing." It's like just go. <laughs> Toby's like just like he's that guy. He's like, "I'm really having a moment here. Like I'm really getting through to it." Um, mm-hmm. just, it just reminded me of that, like that okay, I'm kind of using you, like, like oh, that's that. And then it's just like, okay, let's just forget that never happened. And you're back to being, you know, crazy Lauren, um, who I'll kind of need if I go through another crisis, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to go back to what you said about culture. Like, you know, your mom said, it's not just Indian culture. Like, you know, it's everybody. I do think different cultures do affect INF people in different ways though. Um, one of my best, best friends, <laughs> He's half Chinese, half Vietnamese. 
He's uh, was born in the early nineties. His mom is like, you know, straight from Vietnam and he's gay and he's an ENFJ and he's an artisan. So he is very emotional, very intense, you know, um, very vibrant, uh, you know, very like mood swingy, very creative, but he has like an entirely different identity that he puts on in front of his family because he's the firstborn son in a Chinese Vietnamese family. And that comes with very real expectations. You know, he was expected to get a great education, get a great well-paying job, that's very respectable. You know, if his parents need to be financially supported, that falls on him. He's expected to get married to a woman, you know? So he had this carefully constructed identity that he used for years until finally he was like, I'm not doing it anymore. And I think, you know, I know we, we talk about the INFPs and the INFJs, but I think the ENFJs and the ENFPs struggle a lot with this stuff too, because they are so emotionally intense and they are so creative and they're very intuitive as well. And they don't fit into their family. So if you come from a family that expects you to be very rational and very masculine and fill this certain role and you're an NF, that is not going to go well. And that's a tough road to hoe. It really is. And I think it does depend on your culture, you know, like, some cultures you're born into, there's a little bit more wiggle room. Yeah, as generally speaking, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, expectations about what to do with your life. And then I think eldest son comes into it. And then there's, um, you know, for a long time thinking, and I know this is the thing, I know in my heart of hearts, it's still my mum's preference for me to end up with someone who's also Indian or Sikh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again it's interesting because actually she's some of the stuff imposed on her by her parents she's uh come i think she's just realized uh that some of it didn't make sense to her and she's made her own decisions and but and so th- this is a great example um like she'll still be having one foot in that stuff that she's been exposed to and she'll know about it so she'll be like i honestly know like in my head and i think in her heart of hearts that i just want and she does she wants me to be happy i want you to be with anyone you want but she would also quite like that to be um a seat girl um and part of its personal preference maybe but i think a big part of it is her upbringing and what she was exposed to there, like playing mm-hmm. like a determining factor in like what she was. And also this is where it gets more complex and there's layers to this. Her parents and their approval and the wider communities stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is where I can see why, especially as I kind of unfold and I step more into being my authentic being, I'm just like, it's difficult to envisage me being anyone else, someone else who isn't crazy jazz. who's just living his very different, unconventional life. Um, and I'm happy and he's happy like for it, but it's still like you step into that. Like I'm just imagining myself like going, I've not been to an Indian wedding in a while. I used to hate being asked, like, what are you like? So what do you do? What are you up to? I was in limbo for like three or four years. So I didn't have an answer to that. But also just, you know, um, 
being the person being the i remember when it was a thing it was like there's the first one in the family and it's become like more comes slowly less weird the more it happens it's like ooh, first cousin who's married a white girl (laughs) (laughs) and then it's happened again 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 and before you know it it's almost become more normalized like it's become normalized and um Mm -hmm. even grandparents you're very surprised are understanding and start talking about multicultural societies and times of change but then also being like you know keep still keep going to the temple and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah that identities and those expectations i think is a big one for a lot of people and the roles that they um feel that they need to play based on what they've been exposed to and the kind of you know um, patterns that have well i think that's a it's a tough one for infs growing up too because what we want to be is totally unique to each one of us and i know that you could say that about everybody but it really really is true for inf people like there are very few inf people who are like i want to be a dental hygienist you know or like i want to be an accountant like most inf people are like i know i want to help people and i want to create art but i'm not really sure what that's going to look like Mm -hmm. you know we you know not even like a job, but we want to seek a vocation that encompasses all of our unique gifts. And that was, you know, like you said, your mom like was very aware of the community she grew up in and what was expected of her. And, you know, and like we said about labels, same thing, like eldest son or, you know, respected grandparent, like INF people, I think really chafe against those boxes and being put in those spaces, like we're like, no, I want to be what I want to be. And even if I have no idea what that is right now, I don't want, I don't want to be this like preset thing that doesn't appeal to me. You know, a few years ago, um, there's this astrologer. I love David Palmer, the Leo King. He's on YouTube. I listen to him all the time. Um, but he's known as the Leo King and he's very extroverted. He's very colorful. Like he's kind of nuts. Sometimes he's great. But he had said, you know, in the video this a few years ago, he said, there was no job title known as the Leo King. You know, like when I was growing up, he's like, no one offered me the job of the Leo King. Like I decided that I created that job for myself because that's what I wanted to be. And it just hit me where I was like, oh, like you can just create the job title you want. You can create the vocation you want to fulfill. You can create you. Like you said, like, you know, your family is like, oh, crazy jazz. Like when you were 10, 12, 13 years old, I mean, the world hadn't even progressed to the point digitally where it is now, where you could be like, I'm going to be a digital entrepreneur. Like I'm going to create an online community for this very small slice of the population, this certain personality type, like that didn't even exist. So a lot of times, like what we're supposed to be, it is all going to unfold. It is in the timeline. You know, we just, when we're younger, we can't see it yet. Right. Like I was in high school in 1994. There's no way that anyone could have anticipated what the internet would be today. There's no way I could have told people like, I'm going to be an online entrepreneur when I grow up. People would have been like, what is that? I used to draw Lauren like university courses slash like jobs, like to look for like 
uh, okay, what does that sound like? Okay, what, is, what does reality feel like it's going to be like? What do I need to do to get there? There's nothing seemed to... It just, nothing seemed to stick and fit. And quite often I'd have like a really um, uh, kind of idealized view of what something would be like. It's like, oh yeah, being a detective would be really cool. Oh wait, I've got to be like a regular cop for like 10 years <laughs> plus? No. <laughs> um, or, you know, I don't know, see it like a forensic scientist. That sounds super cool. Oh, so it's not like CSI kind of all the time and like I have to like be around blood and this unpleasant stuff. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I want to be a paleontologist, Jurassic Park. Oh, I've got, <laughs> Jurassic Park. I've got, to, I've got to study all this other stuff and like maybe not even. So, yeah, I think I just fell more in love with the kind of dreamlike versions of the jobs that I knew existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, who knew that this online realm was a thing and the reason why it's such an amazing powerful thing the online digital space is because like you know you can find your people like it can be a really small group of people you can yeah it's just uh, right you can work from anywhere you can um figure out over time who your audience is which has happened for me by the way i start i started off my first blog was called a happier introvert right after i quit my job when I started reading, I was reading about happiness and introversion and slowly it's obviously gone to more the intuitive way, but, um, and, you know, I've started and stopped blogs, but it's unfolded. I've had to figure out who my, and I'm kind of still doing that. And I still now go through phases where I'm like, do I need to, you know, niche down more to, and I'm actually like, the more I think about it, I'm like, actually, no, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. Just carrying on along this kind of quite broad creative infp j path because people have different parts of the journey like five years ago i was just needing to be more creative and explore now i'm in a bit of a different space where i'm thinking more intentionally about the business side um but i think the theme that runs through is kind of claiming who we are and um designing what we do um and also like what like what doing your own thing even looks like um like yeah what doing like and how for i think intuitive it looks quite different in the time frame and the unfolding um i got a two days ago i should be saying happy anniversary linkedin lauren sapala has been working for eight years at laurensapala.com oh yeah that's when i started my blog it was eight years ago that's April. an awesome milestone you were uh, you've been doing this full time for maybe is it two years yeah, it'll be two years in July. Yeah. So yeah. The, the people I see now making um, like an income, like on a more of a um, sustainable, uh, recurring is probably the wrong word, but you know what I'm getting at, basis. Mm-hmm. They're either, a lot of them have um, got a, a partner or they're uh, who's, uh, you know, kind of financially they're okay and i was speaking to someone earlier in the week who said honestly i don't think i'd have been able to grow my business if i had to make money if i was forced to make money for it and make it my thing like i wouldn't have worked others have done you know others doing what you're doing i think the whole remote part-time world gig economy stuff is interesting um 
our path is more one of like of like finding what we want to do like in terms of our own thing i think is more of a slow kind of one that unfolds and isn't about yeah so four years ago i you know um moved to silicon valley and then i started this business and then i raised my first round and you know all this stuff and this kind of it's a slower like i i like yours is a more i think kind of real authentic not just story of, of how i think it's like a healthier doing your own thing for us looks like because you know i'm learning that if i focus too much on the metrics and my marketing and growing my newsletter i get to where i'm feeling kind of right now if i'm being honest where i'm a little bit burned out and overwhelmed I, well and i, I, I feel think, really incoherent today and i'm like i'm just splurging loads of stuff no no i'm totally getting it you sound like my clients my clients will tell me a bunch of stuff and be like that was all crazy <laughs> talk and i'm like no i was following it the entire time i, I sound like one of the, I sound like, I sound like those people that just emails you to say so lauren even even when they do i understand what they're saying i think that's a real fear that inf people have i have it too but but because i think so many people in our lives have reacted to us like you're all over the place or i can't even follow what you're saying like we're kind of like gun shy about it we're like oh i hope you understood any of that i always understand all of it um but yeah i think that that's the difference like when i was growing up as an inf person I knew how I felt about things and what I wanted, but I saw everyone around me go about it in such a different way or talk about, like when I would say like, what do you want out of life? They'd be like, oh, I, you know, I just want to get a good job and make a lot of money. And I'd be like, yeah, but what else? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I want to buy a house. And I'm like, okay, but what else? And they're like, I don't know. Maybe have a couple kids. And I'd be like, yeah, but what else? I was always asking like, what else? And when I first started out in business, it was the same thing where like the people I was hanging out with at that time, who I'm not friends with any longer, they'd be like, what's your business plan? What's your end game? How are you going to make income from this? Or, well, are you going to sell, you know, like, and I just, I tried to play along because I had done that for so much of my life. Like I would try to talk with the language other people were using or throw around those terms of like, well, I think this could be a successful business venture because, you know. And I just don't do that anymore. Like now I'm like, oh, I get visions. And, you know, probably about 2008, I awakened. I realized I was a light worker. And now I'm really interested in helping fellow light workers find their path. I feel like we're building an army of light together. Like, I'll just say that now. And people like kind of look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, well, they're either going to roll with that or they're not. And I see it as a filter now. Like when I was younger, when I was like a teenager, INF person, I was so afraid that I would scare people off. And in my twenties too, I was like, I don't want to scare anyone off. I don't want anyone to know I'm weird. I can't tell them what I'm really thinking or my real intentions. Cause they're going to think I'm nuts and they're going to run away. And now I'm like, Oh, run, <laughs> run away. If you're going to run, please get out of my life quickly because I don't have that much time and I'm busy and I'm trying to work with people who actually do want to be here and are actually on the same wavelength. So cool. If that repels you, that's awesome. It happened really quickly. And that has been such a game changer as an INF person and such a difference from the way I was when I was, you know, a kid or a teenager growing up. And now, and I think that's what a lot of INF people, 
when they get into their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, start really having a good time in life because they're just really stepping into who they are. And they're like, I don't care anymore. I really don't care. And I'm just going to be me. And it brings so much more fulfillment. I mean, I'm glad you, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said all of that, but that last bit when you were talking about people in their 40s and 50s and even 60s, I keep coming across- Or 70s. These, or 70s, coming across some of these people. Um, and I was speaking to someone on the last call and I said to her at the end of the conversation, I was like, it honestly feels like you've got a whole lifetime ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Right? Um mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. The, the what you were saying about the the light worker and your kind of like that. Yeah, that was. I feel like that should have. I just felt really like whoa. Should have had like a beat behind it. Um, do you have you have you put that anywhere? Like, did you say you introduce yourself in that way, or have you put that somewhere online? Oh, I talk to people about it. I actually, I just had my. Um, I have a monthly massage with this woman. Uh, who's like a town over and I was just talking to her about it where I was she's like you know when did you start to awaken and I was like oh I knew I was a light worker like definitely 2012 but I had come across the term when I started awakening in 2008 like I just talked with her about it uh, and I so, talked about my clients I got uh, you so it was in the context of someone who was asking you about awakening so this isn't like I don't know you're at the mall or you're at like a but right uh, no, there are honestly, some because I say different things to different people. But honestly, yeah. like, honestly, if if I've got no, depending on who it is, and it's like there's just like holes apart, and I've got no interest yes. in crying anymore. Um, I work. I'm not marketing. just like blurting it to everybody. I say but I work I'm in not marketing. holding back like I used to either. I say I, I say I work in marketing, um, but yeah, I think there's something about claiming. Yeah, not holding back, especially with the right people, like really claiming and stepping into what you're doing. Um, I definitely don't filter it online, though. Like, I feel like if you look on my blog or my videos, like I talk about light working, you know, I mean, pretty naturally, like it just it's just a fact of my life. And, you know, a few years ago, like when I first started my business, that was the big piece that clicked into place where I was like, oh, it's not about me getting views or likes or subscribers it's about me planting seeds and these seeds are going to grow and ripple outward. And those ripples are going to cause other ripples. And I'm just like one tiny piece of a bigger plan. It took so much stress off of me where I was like, I don't need to like do a bunch of stuff or get a bunch of people to like me or impress a bunch of people. Yeah, I just I need to that. like do what's right in front of me and what is being presented to me at this time. And then the ripples will just ripple outward. You know, as long as I focus on that, like, what can I do to contribute to the light in the world? It's so easy. It's not about me. Just do the little work and just, you know, stay in your own lane and don't worry about if people like you or if people think you're impressive. Mm. It takes a pressure off of you as well, actually, with that in doing that. Um, Because one of the things I've been. Yeah. Because I'm thinking. There's, there's a usefulness in showing up wherever it is and claiming who you are mm-hmm. and authentic, like and just being your authentic self and not suppressing it. And one of the, 
in kind of the online world, one of the places I find it most challenging to do that is LinkedIn. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and I'm recently thinking about like stepping into LinkedIn and sharing some of my stuff on there. Um, and I, I was looking at what's probably the next thing that's going to go out on the blog, like for LinkedIn, you know, I'm thinking it'll be something like, you know, nice and light, something about, I don't know, writers or creating or whatever it might be. And it was like, oh, um, basically just embracing being an empath. And I was like, ooh, that's a, that's a tasty one for my uh, old financial services crowd. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know what? Um, and hearing those words has actually been helpful. It's not about me. No. It's not about me. It's about, we've talked about energetic imprints. It's about what you leave out there for others to energetically find and go down rabbit holes and may change themselves and go on to change their world and the world of others. Mm-hmm. That's a really nice new, for, way of actually distancing yourself and you know oh i'm putting myself out there how will people respond to me i believe in this as stuff like let me distant let me just put it out there for others to find and um you know connect with it because we're kind of dotted about it feels like and um how else are we gonna like i say we're in like especially online now like this is possible like we've got a part to play yeah I'm, I'm probably going to ponder over that it's kind of like um you know i mentioned this in my marketing book and <laughs> i have one client she always says this it's, it's um the kind of the piece that got her to really move ahead is that i'm like you're just putting out food for people you're putting out mm-hmm. food for the animals or the birds or the people who want to come and it's like it's like you cook this really delicious vegetable soup and you put it on a table and you put a sign up that says delicious vegetable soup available and you, and you put a list of the ingredients and then you leave it alone. Some people are going to come and they're going to be like, this is the best soup I've ever tasted. And I think you're the best cook I've ever met. And I want to be just like you. And I th- I'm just going to worship you because you're the best chef I've ever met. I'm going to tell everybody like they're going to have their whole positive trip with the soup. And then other people are going to show up and be like, I can't believe you put potatoes in it. What were you thinking? I'm allergic to potatoes. You're excluding me. And they're going to be mad at you. And then other people are going to come and like look at it, but not show much interest or like take a sip and then put it down and not give you any explanation. The point is out of all of humanity, random people are going to shuffle up, have an experience with your vegetable soup. That is totally about them. You did the best you could. If you really cooked that soup to the best of your ability, and you put it in a spot where people can find it and you explained what it was, you have done your job. You don't need to stand at the table and monitor all the different reactions. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that person didn't like potatoes. I'm going to take potatoes out next time. I suck. Why did I put potatoes in? Like, you don't need to waste your energy. Just keep cooking. Put it on the table. Go back to the kitchen and make something else that seems good and delicious and nutritious. Put that out tomorrow. See what happens. It, they really can be that easy and that detached. It's when we start saying like, I'm going to be judged on the soup. Everyone's going to like think badly of me if I make a bad soup. 
I have to prove myself as a human being over this one pot of soup I'm making. Like that's when it starts to become not fun and just full of pressure. Yeah. Well, for me, like, I don't know how, like, did you, I don't know how much you operate, like kind of systems and like, I don't know, for your marketing, like terms of like content cycles and rhythms, but I'm also learning that, yeah, whilst I need to give myself some momentum, like if I'm too strict on this and this and this and over this, like a big block, like a block of time, I find that it just gets too much. Um, and again, it comes back to then, yeah, you know, like you were saying, like monitoring everyone's reaction to it. Like, oh, how many people have read this or, you know, liked it or kind of listened to it? Um, I try to strike a balance where some of the stuff I produce, I really am just producing for, because people want it, you know, that where people, I'm like, oh, last week, a lot of people said they want vegetable soup. I'm going to make a pot of vegetable soup. And then other weeks I'm like, I just want to write about this. I don't really care if anyone likes it or wants to read about it. It's really interesting to me and I want to write about it. So that's where like, that's my batch of like cardamom cookies. There's kind of weird and some people don't like them and they're not a big hit, but I don't care. I like them. I wanted to bake a batch of them. So that's what I'm doing this week. And I try to like do that balance where it's not all just for me and it's not all just for other people, but I'm creating in a way that feels good. You know, it's like this ebb and flow. Like some of it's just for me and some of it's just for other people and some of it's a mix. Yeah, I like that. Ebb and, yeah. Ebbing, the ebbing and flowing. Um, would, would, do you know what your Enneagram is? I believe I'm a four. I don't know the wings. I know there are wings to it, but I haven't gone that far. Yeah. So I was talking recently to Leslie McDaniel because mm -hmm. um, she's also an INFJ with a four, who's a four uh, in the Enneagram. And she was also talking about rhythms and cycles and ebbing and flowing. And I was like, yeah, because I always used to think that that's, you know, it's an INFP thing to like needing to find this, like, because like J's are just really regimented and like structured. And, um, but actually, um, yeah, yeah, apparently um, the set with what comes with the four, the self preservation thing is the need for that kind of cyclical uh, fluidity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, interesting that you're full as well. Well, and the way it's manifested in my creative life, you know, so like I have half of me that is INFJ, INFP, highly sensitive people, creativity work. That is very much geared towards serving others. Mm -hmm. I very much am like checking in with people, asking questions, where do people need help or their struggles, building things around those struggles and problems. And then the other half of my creative life is my transgressive fiction right? Or just, or just my plain fiction. And in that I'm very selfish. I'm like, no, I want it to be how I want it to be. I don't care if no one likes it. I like it. If I like it, then that's literally all I care about. Those are my novels. Every novel I put out, every novel I write, I'm like, I like it. And I, like everybody in the world could come to me and say, I hated it. And I'm like, I don't care because I like it. So it's a very, um, it's a split and it's it's a very distinct split between what are your problems? What are your challenges? How can I help you? I don't care at all what you think. <laughs> you know, this is for me. And I, I have to do that. That's how I maintain my balance. Yeah. And this is, this is probably a conversation for another time, but 
it sounds like you've got a really that I know it's really important to you, your fiction writing. Um, and I just kind of know that like in that whole space with the marketing and whatnot, and also just what it's like, like everyone I see who are like the big indie authors mm-hmm. are making their money from most of their money from not their books. Mm-hmm. It's from, you know, like, courses or I'm thinking of Joanna Penn for example mm-hmm. um, I honestly wonder if if you want to be a author fiction writer especially if you're an intuitive it feels more useful and nourishing for you to be able to write freely and not have to rely on that to be the thing that's making you money if that makes sense so I think we just sealed the deal on our next topic Cause you know, I've been, I've been like, we should do writing. Um, we should do writing. Cause that, I mean, really this could be another hour and a half of just the whole world of writing, like the writing process, the publishing process. Like, can you write what you want? Can you not write what you want? How do you make your money? All of that. Yeah, I think so. That sounds good to me. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just so much. And I think there's so much we could talk about that I think could really shift things for a lot of people who are like, well, I'm hesitant to put my work out there or I'm hesitant to even try to be a writer because I don't know how it all works or I don't know what to expect. Or, or even like they have some beliefs in place that are inaccurate and they don't even know it. Mm. That was me when I first started out writing. I, it took me years, but I, real, I had a bunch of realizations where I was like, oh, it's actually like this. Okay, I wish I'd known that like 10 years ago. <laughs> it would have saved me a lot of time. But yeah, we could definitely talk about all that stuff. Yeah, I think that could be a good topic. Um, is anything, anything more to add in closing? I, I'm glad I, I did caveat the, you know, uh, the, the childhood topic with um, saying that's where we would start. Uh, because lo and behold, look at where we've got to. <laughs> I know. Um, you know well, I would like to add, because she's come up a few times during our conversation, Linda Polio. Um, for anyone who's listening, her book, Trusting the Currents, yeah. is amazing. I just finished it a week ago. I left a review on Goodreads and Amazon that you can see. Um, it's it's a fictional novel, but the genre is um, conscious storytelling. And it's really interesting. Like the prologue to the book of how she came to write the book and how she started basically channeling the main character was so compelling to me. Um, so if you are into, you know, channeling or um, parallel realities or, you know, connecting with characters in a way that feels almost supernatural, um, I highly recommend you check out Trusting the Currents by Linda Polio, And it's um, L-Y-N-N-D-A-P-O-L-L-I-O. It's a great book. And it's quick. I think I read it like in two days. I just didn't get out of bed. I was like, I'm just going to sit and read Linda's book. Like I'm just going to yeah. keep reading it. It was so good. Right. And I will say, I, I read the ebook copy. Um, I would say this might be worth a paper copy. Um, also, I know. Yeah, in terms I of got the, the paper copy. Well, you've, you've seen the cover, but I also know from the texture a lot of. Yeah. And um Linda is also is one of those people, her, again, her background is super fascinating. She so believed in consciousness needing to be a thing in business where she was like, I'm going to create my own role. 
going to be a chief consciousness officer. Um, I'm definitely going to bring her onto the podcast at some point to share her story. Um, and she's one of the authors who I'm kind of, uh, yeah, I've kind of got lined out, lined up to, to, uh, uh, as one of the voices with the, the, the indie author launch as well. Um, talking, yeah. You talk about birthing a baby. I know, I know what you mean. I just <laughs> book out of you. I also get why now you're just like, you've got books that you've written and you're not putting pressure on yourself to release. Cause I've also realized for the next one, I'm not going to be an idiot and be like, I'm going to finish this book and then release it straight away. No. Well, I remember when <laughs> why we would anyone do that to themselves? Why? Yeah. Why? I, I told like, I think like a couple years ago, we started really talking over zoom and I was like, Oh yeah, I have all of these books like on the runway, like in a drawer. I just, and you were like, I would just release once one once a month if I were you. And yeah. I kind of laughed. I was like inside giggling. Cause I was like, Oh, jazz does not understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a project. It's a project. Ah, oh, launch comes with its own energy. And yeah. I, I used to see, and you know, I, I'd love your emails and I know you're very honest with me, but I also know that, um, you're a writer and not to say that you exaggerate but I didn't know what you meant when you were saying so you know what are you up to yeah I'm just in the middle of a launch and um I feel like a bit of a crazy person right now I'm like oh but you know Lauren is like we, we kind of both feel like crazy people all the time so maybe that's what it is and then you know having done my own launches now <laughs> oh when you're in a launch of anything it's like you're in a vortex like your entire world is just revolving around this launch and there's like constant details popping up and it just rules your life for like a month. I mean, at least, you know, and then there's like the aftermath. One of the challenges I'm having right now with even like getting my head down and finishing this book is the launch I've planned for it and like low key just thinking about that and how it's going to go and what I need to do. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't, do that like i just need to be in the here and now with finishing the edit yeah um it really is like birthing a baby and it's like if you just had a baby and the baby was like eight weeks old and you're like when are you getting pregnant again <laughs> you're like whoa i am still in it with this one i am only half alive you know like it's just these things take their own timeline they really do yeah uh, absolutely um Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you shout out Linda I'll, I'll, and I'll add that, that link to the show notes as well. Um, just in case anyone is new, stumbles across these. Um, Lauren is at laurensapala.com, S-A-P-A-L-A.com. Um, and you can find me at um, probably the easiest one is infclub.net. Um, yeah. I love, I love digital gardens. Like, I just found out. So another one I mentioned previously, Shelley Francis, she's got a couple of books and a website for each book. Um, mm -hmm. And I just love, I think I, I just, I, I love stumbling across more of someone's stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, I found this thing. It's like what, what really excites me, like about like what I'm building and growing is like someone might read a post on LinkedIn and then, you know, just one person might then click on my website and then listen to the podcast and then get super excited like I do when I connect with someone who's energetically kind of on my level or like maybe even slightly 
like you know i was following bloggers five years ago even slightly aspirational level mm-hmm. uh, digital gardens we're building digital gardens totally which are going to be there when we're gone because the internet i don't think is going to die no the internet is its own uh living entity <laughs> i think yeah i agree um, well, yeah, and then I'm I'm excited if we do writing next time. That'll be a good one. Definitely tune in. If you're an INFJ or an INFP and you don't, you're like, I'm not a writer, you should tune in because I bet you are a writer. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to say every INFJ or INFP is a writer, but eh, I do want to say that. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, till next time. Th- thanks everyone for, for listening as always and all the way to the end of these long conversations. Bye everyone, we love you. Take it easy. So that's it for today's episode. If you're enjoying listening to the show, you might wish to dive in a little deeper by heading over to www.infclub.net. There, you can subscribe to my free newsletter and you'll find more little pieces to help you on your journey, as well as a community of INFJs and INFPs. Thank you for listening today and I'll see you next time.